Great. Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church. I'm glad you're here. Hope you're having a good weekend. I hope that this morning is encouraging to you. I hope it's challenging to you. I hope that you have come expectant um, because you have a level, some sort of sense that God is here and God wants to communicate with you. God wants to meet with you. That I hope that you've come with a level of openness to what God wants to say. Uh, that, you, that you haven't come with the, like, I got it all figured out, but that you've come with a little bit of desperation or at least enough to say, God, please show me something here. Please give me something from your word today and from the gathering of the church that will give me some instruction, some guidance, some help along the way. And ultimately, I hope that you've come with a sense of devotion. I hope that you've come wanting to honor the Lord as the God who is high and lifted up as the only true God. And that uh, whether today is just life-changing for you or not, that you will choose to bring your whole heart and that you'll honor the Lord with your attention, with your worship, with your resources, with the choice to love another person uh, who you may not even know this morning. So our hope is that this is a community of transformation and that we make a difference in this world together. So welcome with us. I'm glad you're here. If there's a, a basket near your um, aisle, near your, under your seat, near the aisle is what I'm trying to say, and you can pass that down, that'd be fantastic. If you're new and like to put your um, email address or something on a card, we'll collect that later in the morning, and that'll enable us to stay better connected with you, so that's optional. Also, if you have um, a prayer requ request or any kind of comment, we see these cards on Mondays, and we'd love to be able to respond to those. All right. My name's Nathan. I'm not sure I said that yet. Welcome. If this is your first time, this is Emmaus Church. We just turned 10. So training wheels are off, but we still really can't keep track of our clothes. It's kind of like where we're at in life. <laughs> All right. Ready to start? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's my dad. Often it's my dad. For a long time, it's been my dad. And I'm grateful that it can be my dad for me. Uh, often it's my wife. Probably for most things, it's my wife. For very personal, spiritual things, it's Tom, a minister that I've seen for spiritual direction for 15 years. And for a variety of other issues and problems and situations and challenges, I go to different friends. Sometimes I even go to a professional. But I am constantly seeking counsel. I am constantly seeking counsel, guidance, and wisdom, and insight into just a variety of situations that I'm faced with. And here's the simple reality. The simple reality is that there are lots of times when I don't know what I should do. There are lots of situations where I need a counselor. Thanks, guys. I should have done that at the beginning. I knew I was missing something. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible, because we're going to hang out in John for a while, and you're going to need it. Um, it will help you a lot at least. <clears throat> Raise your hand and someone will hand you a Bible. Can you relate to the idea that you need help? Does, does, it, does that resonate with anybody this morning or is it just me? All right, I know that we're a highly sufficient, independent culture. We've got it all right in our pocket on a little computer. But um, my hope is that this morning you will have the sense of flexibility and safety and freedom to allow the, the, uh, the walls to come down enough to at least identify in your own heart and mind the areas in which, man, I need help. I need counsel. I need advice. I need direction. 
We talk a lot here at Emmaus about pursuing a spirituality that makes a practical difference. And we do things here at Emmaus that are intended to push our faith in Jesus down into the practical issues of real life because this is and this must be a priority for us. In other words, we don't just want to talk about it. We want to experience it. And when I consider what would be needed for me on a day-to-day level for my faith to become a really practical thing, when I consider what it would take for my Christianity to make a real-life difference in my world, then one of the things that, uh, one of the most practical, one of the most helpful things would be is if I could go to God for advice. That would be fantastic. That would be so practical and helpful, as if I could have a relationship with God that would sound a lot like the relationship I have with my dad or with my wife or with my best friends, where I can say, hey, this is happening. What do you think about this? What do you think I should do? I don't know what I should do. And so I'm coming to you and I'm asking you for your advice with a posture of receiving instruction with the knowledge that I have a limited ability to navigate this situation. Therefore, I need somebody else's help. What if my relationship with God could be like that? What if it could be that practical where I could say, okay, in in the morning, I could literally lay out my schedule and say, this is a tough appointment. I have no idea what to say to this person. What do you think I should say to this person? I have this situation that is beyond my ability to handle by myself. Would you come be there with me as well? So what we're doing today is we're we're starting the final paragraph of the Apostles' Creed. We've been in a long series on the Apostles' Creed because it's important that we know what Christians believe and why it matters, why it matters. And so today we start the final paragraph of the Creed, and it begins with this simple statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, my initial reaction to this statement is this. Is that it? (laughs) That's all we got to say? We've got a lot of stuff about Father. We've got a lot of stuff about God the Son. And then this is all we're going to say about this. I believe in the Holy Spirit. How can you read the, the book of Acts, which is the history of the Christian church, the early history of the Christian church? It's right after the Gospels in the New Testament. How do you read that, this, this book in which the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role, a big, has a really prominent, significant role, and just say, oh yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The writers of the creed include, as I said, several specific characteristics about God the Father in the first paragraph of the Creed. In the second paragraph, the longest paragraph of the Apostles' Creed, we have all kinds of information about who Jesus is. And yet then we, we just have this. It appears to be this very minimal statement of existence about the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But as I've read the early Christian writers on the history of the Creed, here's what I've learned. That the historic church understands this statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit, as intimately connected with the rest of the creed, with the balance of that final paragraph of the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit serves in the view of the early church as a topical sentence for the rest of this paragraph. One author argues that the link between Jesus Christ who's in the second paragraph of the creed, and the church, which we read about later in the creed, the link there 
is the Holy Spirit and the degree to which the church continues the ministry of Jesus depends on how seriously the church takes the Holy Spirit. So if the church is full of the Holy Spirit, then the church is alive and the church is effective. On the other hand, if the church has a dim view of the Holy Spirit, then the church can quickly just become another social organization, another legal system, another religious tradition, not be very alive at all. Here's a quote from J.I. Packer um, about, this, about this issue. He says, the creed moves from the creating work of the Father and the rescue work of the Son to the recreating work of the Spirit, whereby we are actually made new through Christ. And then he says, and so we hear of church, which is new community, and forgiveness, which is new relationship, and resurrection, which is new existence, and everlasting life, which is new fulfillment. So rather than seeing this as I initially did as a pretty thin statement of mere existence, it seems that historically the whole third paragraph of the Apostles' Creed has been seen as a specific description of the living Spirit of God interacting with the world, building one worldwide Christian church, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, uh, building or, or making broken people into saints and then unifying them, forgiving sins, uh, bringing life and lasting restoration. This is all the work of the Spirit. And that's the challenge. That in and of itself, that is the challenge. That's the problem. What is it specifically? It's this, that the Holy Spirit doesn't just exist. The Holy Spirit does stuff. Okay, that's the big shift. Do you see how deeply enculturated I am in my own, um, in our own perspective? When I read the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I'm pretty much satisfied with that and I need a whole nother culture. I need a thousand year old voice to say to me, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not, it's, it's, that's, you're missing the whole point. The Holy Spirit does not just exist. The Holy Spirit does stuff. And that is what we so often just miss. It's super, super simple but it goes right over our head, we just miss it. In other words, the spirit doesn't need to be defined. Oh my goodness, I, I've read so many books and taken so, a lot of classes and people are trying to define the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to be defined primarily. To a certain degree, that's of course helpful. The, the spirit's intended to be experienced, right? That's the whole point. So Jesus himself, this is fascinating. It's, it's important to know even though it sometimes is hard for us to get our heads around, it's important to pay attention to the metaphors that Jesus uses. For instance, Jesus compares the Spirit to wind. He compares the Spirit of God to wind, which is a really interesting object of comparison because all cultures, all cultures know about wind. We understand the concept of wind. We even experience wind. But wind is always connected with what it does. There are very few people who are really interested in defining wind, figuring out how wind works. That's important and interesting, and some people just grow through that probably. But primarily, it's about what wind does. Tell me some of the images that come to your mind when you think of wind. A kite. What else? Yeah, blowing trees, right? Yeah, I was outside yesterday, and I was thinking about this and going, it apparently is windy because all the trees are moving around. What else? What did you say? 
Hair in your face? I know it's a huge problem for me. <clears throat> it's good. Yeah, something else? Storms? Right. Oh my gosh, all huge atmospheric changes seem to sort of be connected with, with wind, right? We think of windmills, we think of wind farms, right? We think of sailboats potentially. This, none of this is wind, but this is what we think of when we think wind, isn't it? Daryl said we think kite, we think allergies. Come on, that's right. Allegra, baby. We think shoot, right? Broken fence evidence of a power we can't really see, we just see evidence of it. We don't get focused on defining wind. We, we don't get focused on explaining how wind works or where wind comes from. We focus on what wind does. That's what we focus on, as we should. It seems to me that that's how we should approach the Holy Spirit as well. We should become more familiar with what the Spirit does or what the Spirit can do. That's what I'd like for us to grow in in the next couple weeks. I'd like for us to become more familiar experientially with what the Spirit does, what the Spirit can do. Still, the Holy Spirit is so mysterious that I think that most Christians feel pretty confused when it comes even to this basic statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. There are several statements in the creed that several of you have circled for me as we've handed them out in different groups. Which, which of these statements are confusing? Which of these statements do we really need to be sure that we explain? And this is one of them. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're familiar, most of us are from uh, evangelical backgrounds, and we're familiar with the, the, the concept of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, right? And yet most of us probably, or at least a lot of us, I'm not really sure what difference that makes, how that works out. Many Christian churches seem to teach very little about the Holy Spirit, while others, on the other hand, grab onto one certain manifestation of the Spirit, one kind of way the Spirit kind of reveals himself, one thing the Spirit does, and they, and they can lock in on that, because I saw that, right? I saw a broken fence. It must always be broken fence, or it must always be kite. And then they lock into that and they say it has to be this way in order for it to actually be the Holy Spirit. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. It's wrong to ignore it and it's wrong to say it's got to look like this. So it's really easy to end up putting the Spirit in a box, which is just about as promising probably as trying to put wind in a box. <laughs> How do you do? You can't, right? So we just need to sort of drop the boxes this morning. I'm, I'm going to hit a slow motion button on the creed, even though we've been going really slowly. And I'm just gonna talk about it for the next couple weeks. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, a little bit more time trying to understand it. Hopefully a lot more time trying to experience it. Opening ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit is, wants to do. I wanna spend a few Sundays teaching about the Holy Spirit. So today, I thought it'd be good to start with just what Jesus starts with the Holy Spirit. When he introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So um, if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, and we're going to read three different texts in John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written by one of Jesus' closest friends. And we will read the very uh, few words here that Jesus gives when he introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And I'll put keywords on the, on the screen, but I didn't want to put the whole thing up there. So here's the start of chapter 14 of John, verse 15. Verse 15. This is a long sermon that Jesus is giving or a conversation that he's having with his disciples right before the end of his life. He says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. <clears throat> if Jesus said that to you, If you love me, you will obey what I command, 
it might be reasonable for you to say, how will I do that, Jesus? Right? How will I obey? How will I know what you want me to do? And how will I have the ability to obey what you want me to do? And what, what, what uh, Jesus says next is, I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus, in connection with this call to love and obey him, that's really important that we understand that this teaching on the Holy Spirit is initially given to the disciples in connection with Jesus' command to love and obey. Love and obey and Holy Spirit, those are all connected. Love and obey and Holy Spirit, all connected. So initially he gives us... Uh, this command, and then Jesus says, he introduces the Holy Spirit as another counselor, like himself. So Jesus, the Son, here's, a, here's an image of the Trinity, which I won't get into a lot, but here's an image of the Christian understanding of God, the Trinity. Here is Jesus, the Son, asking God the Father, God the Son asking God the Father for another counselor who will be with his followers always or forever. Who is this other counselor? Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Right? Look at verse 17. This other counselor will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So right away, Jesus addresses this fascinating relational dynamic connected to the Holy Spirit. The world, he says, cannot accept him. Why is that? Because, oh, I wanted to say something about that. Did you notice that, that Jesus refers to the Spirit as him? Did you notice that? In other words, it's not it. We think of Spirit potentially as impersonal, as an it. Sometimes I, uh, I'm involved in this group of people that examines um, ministers' theology in their, in their road towards ordination, and often this is a problem. We talk about the Spirit as an it, as an impersonal force, but Jesus is very clear to refer to the Spirit as a him, meaning that there, this is someone that you can know, right? This is, not just a, this is not your conscience. This is not some force like in Star Wars. This is a person. There's a third person of the Trinity. So uh, Jesus refers to the Spirit as him. And then we've got this really interesting dynamic about you and him. Um, you cannot see him. You cannot know him. Or you can know him. He can be with you. And then Jesus says to his followers, he will be in you. So we've got this range of levels of intimacy or possibility of, of being in relationship with the Spirit. Then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is sent by God is the spirit of truth and is the spirit of Christ. Are we clear? Because I'm not yet. I'm going, this is really, this is blowing up any box. As soon as I begin to build a box, he says something that kind of knocks that down. This is another counselor like me. So it's not you? No, because I'm leaving. Oh, okay. But then he says, but I will come to you. So is this the spirit of Christ? This is the spirit of truth? And these are just the first few words that Jesus gives about the Holy Spirit. Now, I would really like for Jesus to really clarify things at this point about the person I'm talking about. But he doesn't do that. He moves right into what the Spirit does. Because apparently this is the emphasis for Jesus, so it should be for us. Um, let's read 
chapter 14, a couple more verses, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, all of this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, it's a great little review right there, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So here's two big roles that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, plays. He will teach you all things and remind you of what has already been taught by Jesus. Jesus is setting up his disciples for what? His ascension. He's going to be killed. He's going to resurrect. And then he's going to hang out for a little bit. And then he's going to, be, he's going to, he's going to depart. He's going to return to heaven. And you get the sense in this last few chapters of John that what Jesus is trying to do is prepare, make sure. His concern, in other words, appears to be, are my followers prepared to live without me and even to lead without me? I remember the first day of college, I started at Santa Clara University. My parents drove me down there, and uh, we went through the orientation and the first couple of events. I met this really short Nicaraguan girl with huge 90s hair the very first day. And um, then <clears throat> we're saying goodbye, this teary goodbye in the parking lot out in front of Santa Clara University. And <clears throat> my dad probably says something, I don't remember this for sure, but my dad probably said something like, related to the finances, like don't forget to make your first payment or something like that. And then my mom says, we never taught him how to write a check. And so we're crying in the parking lot a few minutes from saying goodbye to my parents, moving out of the house, and my mom is teaching me, she's trying to teach me how to write a check <laughs> for my first tuition payment. I'm like, mom, let's not do this right now. No, you need to know how to do this. I'm leaving and you need to know, right? I forgot to do this. I got to teach my kid. Now, Jesus hasn't forgot anything, but he also hasn't told them everything that they're going to need to know, right? So he's not worried about that, like my mom was, because he knows something. What does he know? He knows he's going to send another counselor to them who will teach them all things. That's a huge statement. And he's going to remind them of what he himself has already taught them. And you see this all through the Gospels. You see the writers say things like this. Jesus said that to indicate the kind of death he was going to die, by which he would glorify God. And we didn't understand it at the time. Have you heard? Have you, does that sound familiar? Jesus did this. We didn't get it at the time. But he did that to show this. They will, they will use this narrator's voice. They'll go back and refer to something because at the time they're like, what are you talking about? But then after they receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit reminds them of what Jesus said. Oh, three days. He was always talking about three days. We never got it, right? And then it, and then it becomes clear. Okay, one more passage and then um, we'll bring it to a close here. John chapter 16, go forward two chapters to John chapter 16. Got the whole vine and the branches thing, the whole staying connected to the vine. And then look at verse 5 of John chapter 16. Jesus returns to this theme. He says, now, I am going to him who sent me. And yet, none of you asks me, where are you going? Which I think is so funny. Because, because I've said things, your, your hearts are filled with grief. It's like, don't, doesn't anybody want to know where I'm going? You're so sad, so focused on your loss. 
Okay, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. This is amazing. It is for your good that I'm going away. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now he's going to review that. In regard to sin, because men don't believe me. So somebody has got to convict people of that basic, essential human brokenness problem that we don't believe, right? In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, so somebody else has got to be your example or show you how to be righteous. I guess I'll always be the example Jesus is probably thinking or saying. But someone else is going to convict you of how to live right. And then in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In other words, this is done, right? It's finished, and there's going to be someone that's going to continue to testify to the essential truth of the narrative that sin is overcome by um, the death of Christ on the cross and by love. All right. Um, Nate lost his place. There it is. Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That's super interesting. The verb there, more than you can now bear, more than you can carry, more than you can lift is how it's used in other places. Uh, that same word. Jesus has so much more he wants to tell his disciples, in other words, but it, they can't even carry it. The image is like the weight is just too big. Um, let, me, let me pause there and, and I'll, no, let me finish that and then I'll come back to it. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Okay, let me walk through those few more verbs, things that Jesus says the counselor will do. He will convict, right? The Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? Convicts you, convicts me. Sin, righteousness, and judgment guides us into all truth. Into all truth. I remember when I was teaching Sienna to ride a bike, and I saw somebody doing this the other day, and it totally flashed back, and I was like, I was getting into shape, jogging down our street, holding on to the back of her bike seat, and she was learning how to ride the bike, and it took a long time. I don't know if you remember, you didn't really want to do it but I really wanted you to do it. So I was like running back and forth. And then it, there came this moment where she wobbled and, and then she kind of corrected herself. And she said, oh, dad, I'm feeling it now. I remember when she said that, oh, dad, I'm feeling it. And so at that point, my role changed. It went from holding on, being physically present to her, kind of like Jesus, to letting her go and guiding her just with my voice now. Right? There she goes, down the street. There's a car backing out the driveway. Right? I'm just guiding with my... Now, I'm still with her. I'm still with her. But I'm with her in a different way. Trying to guide. Right? Trying to lead. Not hands-on. Let's see. Uh, he talks about convicting, guiding. This idea of... Let's stick with the guiding thing. Uh, this idea, did you hear him say, I have much more to say to you and it's more than you can bear, more than you can lift up, more than you can carry? Uh, this, this is something that we 
as parents interact with quite a bit when our kids ask us really challenging questions about the brokenness of the world, about crimes that they hear about that are committed, that are heinous and rough and violent, or about really beautiful things like procreation and how does that work, where do babies come from, this kind of thing. This is the constant challenge of giving them the truth but not giving them more than they can bear. Right? In some cases, it has to do with innocence. In some cases, it has to do with you don't want to expose a mind to the brokenness. It's that, that's the whole like, uh, tree of um, knowledge of good and evil kind of dynamic. It's like, boy, as soon as I show you the fullness of, of what the world's really like, you're not going to be able to unsee that. Um, so I think a lot of us as parents, potentially, those of us who are parents, probably have an idea of what it's like. to. I, can't, I have more I want to tell you, Jesus says, but it's more than you can bear. Sometimes it's about innocence. Sometimes it's about just basic capacity. Basic capacity to handle the truth. Like, way back in 2001, we bought our first house in Sacramento. It was built in the 1940s. I think it was built in 1949. And we had to rewire the house at one point. My friend Steve's an electrician, and so I asked him to come over and help me. And uh, we were standing in the garage, and he's got all this wire. And, say, and I, just, I asked him this question. It was the wrong question to ask, but this is what I asked. Hey, Steve, how does this work? <laughs> so Steve launches into, like, a master's level thesis of like the philosophy of currents and amps and watts and where this and all these waves and all the sorts of stuff and where this all happens it was beautiful I was totally impressed I couldn't believe this guy like a, he gets electricity and I and so about two minutes into this thing I, I got to do this I go Steve Steve I got black I got white I got red that's all I got you got to tell me where to put it right. I don't know, and you're way over, you're just, I, I don't have the capacity to handle what you're telling me, right? Break it down. And so that's sort of what Jesus is doing. I want so much more to tell you, but there, the Spirit will guide, the Spirit will reveal truth to you as you are able to handle it. I, I hope that your experience with the Spirit has been one in which you continue to receive deeper revelation. If the Spirit revealed truth to us as it is, it would kill us. It would. It would. We would be, you see this in the Bible, whenever any kind of veil is parted, people are face down. Oh, they can't handle the truth, right? Of the glory of God, of the reality of the battle for our souls, of the consistency of sin and the beautiful presence of the love of God. We see these in little bites and because that's all we can handle. And the Spirit very lovingly guides us uh, in a, in a, at a pace that we can bear it. He says, I'll tell you what is yet to come. So the counselor teaches us now, but even teaches us about things that are going to happen in the future. We can pray to God for guidance about the future because the Spirit is specifically given to guide us into the future. And then the end and the purpose is all to bring glory to God, to bring glory to Jesus. That's what Jesus himself says at the end of that passage. So we're on this journey, and it begins with, if you love my commands, you'll obey. I mean, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll obey my commands. And the journey ends with, glorify Jesus. And the question is, how am I going to get from here to there? How am I going to get from like, gosh, sometimes I don't even want to obey Jesus, and I'm called to glorify Jesus, and how am I going to navigate this crazy life? How am I going to get through all the brokenness and all the disappointment? How am I going to find my way? The good news is this, that you have been given another counselor Christ has left us with another counselor to guide us, to convict us, and to teach us. The reality is, friends, the reality is, 
And this is a hard reality. It's a hard reality for me to imagine with my children. It's a hard reality for me to imagine with my friends who I can see are hurting even today. Here's the reality. You got to find your way. You got to find your way. But the beautiful good news is this. You don't have to find your way alone. Okay? You don't have to find your way alone because God has given his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, to serve alongside us, to walk with us, to convict us, to guide us. There's a lot more that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot more that the other writers of the, of the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot more that I hope is revealed to us about the Holy Spirit. But we just begin here. It's better for us that Jesus is gone because that means the Spirit is here. He sent another counselor. We don't have to find our way alone. I hope you go home with that in your heart and in your mind. Man, I got this, I got this road I got to travel. And the only way for me to get from here to there is for me to get from here to there. I got to walk this road. That's the road. But I don't have to walk this road alone. The Holy Spirit is with me. The Holy Spirit can be within me. Final quick comment. The Spirit uses tools to reveal the Spirit's will. Really quick. He'll use the Word. The Spirit will speak to you and guide you through the written Word of God. The Spirit will guide you and lead you through nature, your ability to reason, the, the to natural revelation. I, I, I talked to a guy yesterday who said, I'm going to just go camping for two days by myself. And, and that's not unplugging. That's plugging in, in my opinion, because the Spirit can meet him there and even use nature to reveal the truth. The Spirit uses others. The Spirit uses the community of the church and the historic community of the church to reveal the will of the Spirit. And here is where I want to lean in in the next couple weeks. The Spirit can also speak directly to your heart. The Spirit can speak, communicate directly to your soul, directly to your mind through personal experiences. That's what I want to focus on in the next couple weeks. Um, that's where I want to grow in as a church. I want to, um, and I'm not prescribing anything, and I'm not looking for any specific manifestation or sign. I just want to have, I just want to know the Holy Spirit. And I want us to be a community that is being guided practically. There's so many challenging issues, even in this little church. And we need to be guided by the counselor. We need to have a present help in times of trouble. The very presence of Christ guiding us through the season of life. Amen? Amen. Let's ask for that. Let's ask God for that. I think, Lord, I think that uh, what we've read here opens a door to a, a depth of spirituality and a level of practicality in our spirituality that is beyond what most of us have experienced. I think that you want to so indwell us that we are actually in communion with you in a, in a way that is like... Um, like somebody walking alongside a counselor who knows the future and can advise us in the present. And so um, I just ask for the fullness of the gospel to be experienced here in this church and in my life. Uh, I, I pray that um, all that you want to give to me and to us, we would be open to receiving it. I pray that you would protect this community 
from the exaggerations and the false teachings that have always come along with teaching about the Holy Spirit. And I pray instead of being caught up into that, that we would be fueled by your Holy Spirit to live as you've called us to live and to make a difference in the world. God, bless this church, I pray. Give us the ability that we need to encourage one another and to walk with you in obedience, ultimately to glorify Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Good. Well, um, real quick, before we stand up, I want to say thank you to um, many of you who...